I love the metaphor of a coin, heads and tails, 50-50 shot. And often when we're looking at an experience, an event, a piece of feedback, anything in life, there's one side where we're a bit comfortable and we know what's going to happen. And then on the other side, the other side represents the unknown. And we could frame that as scary. We can frame that as dangerous. And therefore, we go with the safe bet. But what is the cost of going with what we know? What do we miss out when we don't embark in the adventure of the unknown? That's where we start today's conversation with my guest, Emily Alexander. And not only do we discuss leadership life and traveling the unknown, we also talk about the experience women in leadership have that's specific to them in male-dominated spaces. And we also talk about what does it mean to create a school that is intentionally diverse, not just on paper, but actually in how they live out their life and their education. Hey, it's Daniel, and welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, a show for you, a ruckus maker, an out-of-the-box leader making change happen in education. And we'll be right back after these messages from our show sponsors. Deliver on your school's vision with Harvard's Certificate in School Management and Leadership, an online professional development program that bridges the fields of education and business. Courses include leading change, leading schools, and leading people. Apply today at hgse.me forward slash leader. That's hgse.me forward slash leader. Imagine a tool that allows you to deliver lessons from anywhere, which allows students to connect from anywhere and with any device. And it integrates with tools you already use like Google Classroom and Microsoft Teams. If you think that sounds too good to be true, I can assure you it's not. That's why I'm proud to introduce you to the Smart Learning Suite online. Learn more at smarttech.com forward slash learning suite. That's smarttech.com forward slash learning suite. All students have an opportunity to succeed with Organized Binder, who equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning, whether that's in a distance, hybrid, or traditional educational setting. Learn more at organizedbinder.com. Hey there, Ruckus Maker. Today, I'm joined by Emily Alexander, who is a partner at Thomas Alexander Forrester in Sorensen LLP, a law firm in Venice, California. She also has served as the board chair at New Roads School for the last six years. New Roads is an independent school in Los Angeles dedicated to authentic diversity and inclusion. Emily, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Pleasure. I'm glad you're here and uh, looking forward to digging into a number of topics that will really add value uh, to the ruckus makers listening. So I'd like to start with choosing the unknown. And I want to start there because this is really what school leaders have been navigating in 2020, right? The unknown. And so where, where did you find the courage to walk away from the you know, the consistency and the guarantees of a partner position at a law firm to take an adventure into the unknown? I'm a big believer in if it's not working, don't try to make it work, find something else. Um, And I'm also a big believer in just because everybody does it that way, it doesn't make it right. So I was looking at a partnership at a 
very large international law firm, which would then set me up for a career for life, essentially. And it wasn't working for me. Uh, I had two children. I didn't like having the partnership management structure was very thick and deep. And I had just come off a trial, which I enjoyed doing very much. And I just want to do that. And I just want to focus on that and being a mom. And I couldn't do that if I became partner. I came with a whole bunch of you know, management issues and responsibilities and working for senior partners. And it was kind of like, no, it's not for me. And I had no idea if we would be successful or not. But, you know, I sort of always think I'm my best shot. So I was going to take it. And this concept of not working, how did that manifest in the day-to-day? I mean, obviously there's the observations that you make and maybe you feel it in your gut or somewhere else in that moment. Uh, But was there anything else? I don't know if it was um, debriefing with the kids or, you know, journaling or, yeah, tell us more about that. I would just say it felt every day that I couldn't use my authentic voice. So every day I was kind of pretending to be someone else not radically, but enough that I could tell that I wasn't comfortable just being my true self. Um, And I'm pretty loose and not formal. And I thought, I don't want to do this forever. I just want to be, I want to work in a place where I can just walk in and be me. Yeah. And that was really it, was that every day I could tell that my voice, I wasn't using my true voice. Right. Yeah. And then you've done the hard work, I'm sure, to, to have a clear understanding of what that uh, authentic voice sounds like, and you were just seeing a, a misalignment there and then had the courage to travel the journey of the unknown. But I'm sure people thought you were crazy in that moment. Right. And so how, how do you get Completely. past that? Right. Cause ooh, the <laughs> critics and you know, the naysayers, it, it hurts sometimes to hear that feedback. Uh, very much so. I got uh, criticized from my family, from the partners at the law firm and I would say my response to that is once I've made my decision, it's not changing, especially a big one like that. And I just didn't respond. I just don't engage. Uh, that's their issue, not mine. I'd already decided. And I, I find it very useful. You just don't say anything. And people don't know how to handle that. And they just stop. Right. You're not putting any more uh, fuel into the fire. So um... Exactly. I learned that, you know, as a classroom teacher, because I, 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 what I've, <laughs> what I realized is that kids, it's really funny to get an adult acting crazy. Right. And right. if, if, if I didn't play my part in that dance and just kind of was like water, you know, and let it, let it flow off, you know, the classroom management, uh, the referrals, the discipline, it all went away. And I realized in that moment, I was the problem, not the kids. Yep. That's really smart. Thank you. Yeah. It, it caused me a uh, great, you know, I don't so much stress before that decision, <laughs> but afterwards it was, it was almost, I don't want to say it was easy, but you know, the, the problems just absolutely disappeared and then we could work on the, the real uh, stuff of school. So, um, but let's, let's talk more about you and you're definitely a ruckus maker. You're somebody known for your unique choices. Uh, what has been your proudest professional moment? Definitely forming uh, my law firm, which I did 12 years ago with uh, then I had two partners and I would say creating a work 
workplace that worked for me. For example, back then, it was not common to have all your documents electronic, and I created a completely electronic office. We did not keep paper. I set it up so everybody could access everything from any place, including home, which was very important to me. And then I also uh, reached out to a number of women who I had known either in law school or previously at my former firm who had dropped out of the workforce because of children and offered them a job whereby they would work for the firm and they would get a formal title of of counsel. But the deal was uh, they never had to come to the office. And once they accepted a project, they had to finish it, but they could turn down a project uh, at any time with no explanation needed. And over the course of the firm, we're very small, but I believe we've had at least eight, maybe 10, and they've stayed with us for years. And I've had six who have now gone on to full-time jobs as lawyers, as in-house counsel, at startups, in the UC system, at a hedge fund, uh, because they had been able to, you know, keep work, work on their resume for, you know, six years, eight years, when, you know, it's very hard to do that in other circumstances. Uh, so I'm really proud of that, being able to create that kind of space for women being able to stay in the workforce while also, you know, being full-time parents. Yeah. And if I'm understanding correctly too, part of honoring your authentic voice, that's why you turned down that consistent and lucrative offer at the large firm uh, and started your own thing because of that inside knowledge and, and yourself, your experience there. Yeah, very much so. And being able to spend more time with my children at the same time, having a way more fulfilling professional life uh, was really, really special. And I'm extraordinarily grateful to my two partners who we we did it together. And anytime I said, you know, I can't do this, I've got to do be with the kids, there was no questions asked. Right. Well, since we were talking a bit about how you create a, a flexible work environment for the, the women on your team, uh, I'd like to explore a bit what your experience has been as a woman in leadership and what it's like to deal with men uh, seemingly everywhere uh, in your profession. And what tips do you have for the female ruckus makers that are listening and for the male ones, you know, please expand their awareness. Um, I would say key is you you really have to be yourself. I think this is less so now, but certainly when I was starting out and I was in litigation, which is a very male heavy side of the law, you know, I saw a lot of senior female lawyers, partners who really, I think, were trying to be super tough um, and, you know, saw, I think, you know, being emotional or kind as being soft and they weren't, that's not how they got ahead. And they didn't want any woman working under them to be like that. And despite being a litigator, I am not naturally antagonistic. That's not my style. And I couldn't do it. Uh, and I didn't want to do it. So I would say, one, you have to be yourself. And you also need to believe that you can do it your way without imitating how men do it. That's, I think, a very important first step. And then you have to find your way. And I think you also need to understand that men are different than women, and that's okay. And women are different from men, and that's totally okay. But 
what you'll run into if you work with a lot of men is they don't appreciate that. So you have to carry that water basically for both of you. <laughs> uh, and you need to watch and learn how they process information uh, because I found that it's very different, uh, or at least it can be very different, um, how men and women process communications and information. And you need to figure out how to do it for yourself, but then also how to communicate so that it's impactful on men. Um, because otherwise, I found that if I didn't appreciate and work towards how they process information, it was extremely frustrating because literally I wasn't heard. I mean, it, it's kind of stunning because as a woman, I find, you know, I try to understand what everybody's trying to say to me, no matter how they're saying it. But I found repeatedly that if you're not saying it the way that they will process it, they just turn, tune it out. And that it can be different among men, but I would say generally they do process information differently. So finding a way that you can communicate such that you don't get frustrated, but you're successful is key. I appreciate you sharing that. You know, a lot of reading I've done on this topic uh, or even with the guests that have been on the podcast, I think we default right to the natural communication style we we enjoy. And, you know, that works if, if you have the title and uh, authority and power where everyone is made to listen to you. Right. But anywhere that has any bit of nuance and where you want to have influence uh, among all stakeholders and generally communicate well with everyone, you have to be more savvy. And so you've been, your hand was forced, it sounds like, but you've, you've figured it out by being able to observe, right? How people receive messages and, and uh, how they give them. And it's, it's helped you be a better communicator. Yeah. I mean, I would say, you know, being a trial lawyer, you have to communicate in a way that the jury understands, which can be very different from, you know, a normal conversation, particularly if it's an area, you know, about, for example, I sue uh, auditing firms. And um, so some of my cases involve audits, which nobody, you know, except an actual CPA could understand. So my job is to make that information understandable to a layperson. And that has educated me quite a bit on effective communication. Yeah, I think it, it might be called the Feynman technique, but if you can describe a complex topic or this this uh, financial audit stuff to a layperson, <laughs> or I think the technique says in, in sixth grader sort of yep. understanding, then you really know you have command of that topic. And if if you don't, uh, then you have more work. Exactly. That's actually what we always say is that we need to be talking about our case in a way that a we actually say a fourth grader um, can understand because otherwise we're, we can't even, we, we're not even going to start. It's not going to work. Beautiful. All right. Well, there's definitely diversity in terms of communicating messages. And after the break, I want to dig into uh, the idea of building truly diverse communities. Uh, but right now we're going to pause here for just a moment for a message from our sponsor. Get world-class professional development without leaving your home. Harvard's online certificate in school management and leadership helps you establish your legacy and deliver on your vision for your learning community. Since 2018, we're proud to have served nearly 4,000 school leaders from over 110 countries. 
we would be honored to welcome you to our February or June 2021 cohorts. Apply today at hgse.me forward slash leader. That's hgse.me forward slash leader. Ruckus Maker, I want to tell you about a remote blended learning tool your school needs right now, Smart Learning Suite Online. As a teacher, you can create, store, and deliver lessons from anywhere, no smart board required, and your students can access and engage with your content from any web browser on any device. No matter what your classroom looks like right now, Smart Learning Suite Online offers many options for flexible learning, engaging students via collaborative workspaces and game-based activities. Smart Learning Suite Online integrates with tools like Google Classroom and Microsoft Teams, making it an easy-to-use way to create engaging content and connect with students. Learn more and get started at smarttech.com forward slash learning suite. That's smarttech.com forward slash learning suite. Today's show is brought to you by Organized Binder. Organized Binder develops the skills and habits all students need for success. During these uncertain times of distance learning and hybrid education settings, Organized Binder equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning routines so that all students have an opportunity to succeed, whether at home or in the classroom. Learn more at OrganizedBinder.com. All right, and we're back with Emily Alexander, who not only is a, a partner at her firm, but she has served as a board chair at an interesting independent school called New Roads School. And the reason Emily and I are talking right now is they have a really unique approach to uh, building truly diverse communities. So Emily, can you explain how independent schools and new roads has tackled this issue? Sure. I mean, I think we've acknowledged in a way that I think a lot of independent schools don't is that in order to have a truly diverse community of students, you need as a first step, you need to give out a lot of financial aid. Um, given where we are with this country, it is you know clear that you need socioeconomic diversity. And if you get that, you tend to get a lot of the other kinds of diversity as well. So New Roads dedicates 30 to 40% of its budget every year to tuition remission, which is financial aid, such that almost 50% of our families receive some form of financial aid, which is Honestly, I think we give out at least double, if not triple, of the amount of financial aid as any other independent school that we know of. But it doesn't stop there. We also have, for example, 40% of our faculty is people of color. Our administration is similarly diverse. And we've really worked to create an entire community that is diverse such that we don't have pockets of diversity. The whole system needs to be diverse. The other thing that I like that I'm very proud of about New Roads is that it's not just um, racial or ethnic diversity or socioeconomic diversity. We also really celebrate and hold a space for differences in learning. Um, we have a dedicated program called the Spectrum Program for children who are on the autism spectrum. And we also have a lot of kids who have, you know, diagnosed learning differences because it's not about intelligence. It's about 
styles of learning. And we do a lot of professional development of our teachers such that they can teach to all of those different styles of learners. And I think that's a real key to me personally, because like we were talking about, there's different kinds of communication. That's part of how people learn. And if a school doesn't embrace that and solve for that, they're excluding any number of children. And it's not on the basis of you know so-called intelligence. It's on the basis of these people just process information different than the norm, whatever the norm might be, right? The sort of old school official norm. And we've really tried to throw that out the window. So currently, New Roads uh, has systems and structures that support and promote diversity in in many different domains of the the school. But I know because of our intro call, it wasn't always like that, even though it might have been the stated mission. Well, I was just going to say, I'd love for you to to go into that a bit, because uh, a lot of the ruckus makers listening have bold, ambitious ideas, right? Or they know, right? Their gut's telling them, hey, this is what we say we're about, but are we really about it? So yeah, please tell us tell us that story because you, you really uh, encouraged a shift there to live out the mission. Yeah, so New Rose was founded 25 years ago with what I would call kind of the um, old-fashioned dream of diversity, which was sort of like, okay, we'll just put a bunch of diverse kids in a classroom and that's it. And I think it was also founded on a kind of old-fashioned idea of charity, which is, you know, the wealthier families come and support the less wealthy families and everybody feels good about it. And that's just not enough. Um, When I joined the board of New Roads, I realized that, you know, most of the administration and almost all of the board were um, elderly white men. And yet we were promoting ourselves as a truly diverse community. And I was fortunate enough to overlap with a new head of school, Lutheran Williams, And both of us took a look at this place and said, we're not doing what we're saying we're doing with integrity. And between the two of us, we've really taken a top-down audit of the school. And are we fulfilling the mission, which is a fantastic mission. And honestly, while we've somewhat changed the wording of the mission, it It was sort of a few words here and there. The mission has remained the same, but I would say the execution is totally different uh, than it used to be um, because we've really worked to make it truly diverse, you know, including the administration and the faculty. And I would say another part of it is we realized that giving children financial aid um, wasn't enough. So it may be that they can't afford the books or they don't have enough money for lunch or transportation or if they want to stay after school to be in the play then they can't get home and so they don't participate in the play so really leveling the playing field so that every student can participate in the full offerings of the school is a been a large focus and we call that meaningful access and we have raised i think in the past 6 years maybe $600,000 just for that purpose 
whereby we provide extra tutoring. Um, if a student needs to go visit a college, um, come home for Thanksgiving once they've been in college, a new mattress. Uh, we've even renovated a bedroom when a home situation required a move to a grandma's house where she didn't have a space for the child. Uh, lunches, all of that, because it's you can't just invite children into the community and not recognize that they might need additional support rather than just tuition. And I mean, that, that resonates with me. You don't have to sell me on that idea, <laughs> but can you, can you uh, express at all how to work on mindsets that um, again, might believe, right. That this is a good goal to achieve. Uh, but then when you get into the work, right, and, and you're talking about providing resources that, whoa, this falls under the, you know, what the school's responsible for. And yeah, it does. So how do you see that working? I think we're lucky to have a community that believes that diverse, true diversity is not just a moral good, but a educational imperative. You know, there's a lot of research now about how diverse groups make better decisions and companies. And it's now, that research is now starting to include educational settings. And we've done a lot of education of our community on that so that we're not just saying, hey, come to us because it's a you know moral imperative that we have diversity and help people who are less fortunate than you might be. Um, rather, it's, hey, come to an authentically diverse and inclusive school because your child, regardless of where they are socially or economically, um, will benefit from being with other students who are not like them. And that's been a real key for us. Um, and I think that's a sort of foundation for us moving forward and getting out the word of why it's not it's not just a good thing to do. It's an essential thing to do if we really are trying to educate kids to their full potential. Last question with true diversity. Uh, I think a lot of schools have many excuses about why their staff's not as diverse mm -hmm. or doesn't reflect the student body. Um, probably the easiest uh, and most used excuse is that that there's people uh, who aren't supposedly qualified, which I don't buy. How how is your school, New Roads, figured out how to increase diversity around the staff? Uh, you just you have to commit to it and then go find those teachers. I mean, it's sort of the idea you can't just wait for people to come to you which I think is the excuse a lot of companies use is, well, we just didn't have anybody, you know, who wasn't white applying to that position. Well, that's not good enough anymore. You have to go and find them. So our administrators who are in charge of recruiting faculty um, are always looking actively researching for teachers who and it's not enough that they themselves are diverse. It's really important for us to have uh, faculty and administrators who believe in the mission because it is it comes out in everything we do is a belief that everyone has value and knowing that you might have to work differently for each person to unlock that value. Yeah, and that puts responsibility on you as the leader, right, to figure out yep. what's going to work for them and how to... Uh magnify their strengths. But I really appreciate, I mean, really the, the gist of what you're saying there is be active. If you say yeah. you're about this, then do it, right? Otherwise, don't accept, yeah, yeah. don't accept anything uh, less. Great. 
Well, Emily, you've been a wonderful guest. I'm going to ask you the last two questions I ask everybody. So the first one is about school marquees. And if you could put a message on all school marquees across the world for just a day, what would you put on the marquee? That is such a good question. I would sort of, I would, I'm probably not going to say it right, but I would be pulling off of something that I just said, which is, you know, everyone has value and it's our job to find yours. You're building a school from the ground up. You're not limited by any resources. Your only limitation is your imagination. How would you build your dream school and what would be your top three priorities? Number one is diversity inclusion and by which I mean all kinds of diversity. I'm a real believer in diverse learners and supporting them. So I would have that support system for, you know, for example, kids on the autism spectrum, kids who have learning differences, but then also the kind of meaningful access support that I've talked about so that we have kids from all over. For example, at New Roads, we have kids from, I think, 90 different zip codes. And I think that's really important in a large city like Los Angeles is that, you know, we have a lot of different neighborhoods and a lot of different places. And having kids come together from so many of them is really, really crucial. So having the kind of support system and outreach such that we would get those kids from a diverse geographical area in a large city would be very important to me. So then I would say, I mean, really it's new roads writ large, right? I mean, right now we're a school of, I think, 520 and I would love us to be double that. So I would like to have a school that's able financially to support um, having a thousand kids K through 12, where at least half are on substantial financial aid, if not full financial aid. And then third, I would say is I want to support our faculty. Um, One thing that uh, Lutheran, our new head of school, well, he's not new anymore, but he was new when I joined, um, did was really build a robust professional development program for our faculty. And I think listening to them about what they need um, and supporting them and giving it to them is critical for the success of any school. Emily, thank you so much for being a part of the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. Of all the things we talked about today, what's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? Do it your way. It's going to be right. Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed.